Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Well, one night as she was putting him to bed, Reese's mom asked her son, who was three years old, just three years old, if he wanted to pray the Lord's Prayer all by himself. Now, Reese and his mom had been praying the Lord's Prayer for a while together, and she wanted to see if he had learned all the words yet. And so this is what Reese prayed. You can follow along up here in the monitor. Our Father, who does art in heaven, Harold is his name, thy kingdom come, I will be done with dressings made in heaven. Give us this day our jelly bread, and forgive us our trash baskets, as we forgive those who put trash bags in our baskets. And lead us not into penstation, but deliver us some email. Now, personally, I would rather be delivered from email than have email delivered to me, but that's just me. And then finally, for thine is the kingdom and the car and the glory forever. Amen. That's pretty cute, isn't it? Well, Reese might not have gotten all the words exactly right, but for three years old, I think that's still pretty impressive. Amen? Well, we are approaching the end. Uh, We are nearing the end of our six-week sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, or as Catholics call it, the Our Father. Uh, The end of our sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. This series that we've come to entitle, Pray Like This. Pray Like This. Uh, Remind us that the name for the series is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, Uh, Matthew was the first book of the New Testament, Uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 9, in which Jesus, as he's giving us the Lord's Prayer, he prefaces that prayer with the statement, pray like this, or some translations say, pray in this manner, pray in this way. In other words, Jesus offers the Lord's Prayer as a guide, as a model for us as we engage in the practice of prayer. And what's happened, as we're all aware, over the past two millennia, is this prayer given to us by Jesus himself has become incredibly influential. I mentioned four weeks ago at the beginning of the sermon series that the early Christians, those first followers of Jesus, 50 or 60 years following the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, they would pray the Lord's Prayer. How often? Three times a day. Not once, not twice, three times a day. By the end of the first century A.D., and so we're talking 95 A.D. or so. There was this document circulating among churches at that time called the Didache, D-I-D-A-C-H-E, the Didache. Uh, Didache simply means teachings, and this document was a set of Christian teaching. Now, the Didache didn't come to be seen on the same authority level as the books of the New Testament, but it was seen as instructional, informative, and helpful And the Didache specifically instructs Christians to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. And so that's what a lot of the early Christians did. They would pray this prayer in the morning, in the afternoon around 3 p.m., and then at nighttime just before bed. We may not pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day, but as Christians, we do pray frequently, don't we? We pray it often. We pray it regularly. 
We pray it individually when we're at home. We pray it corporately when we're in worship. A lot of us have committed this prayer to memory. Some of us, when we were children, we memorized this prayer years ago. But just because we know the Lord's Prayer doesn't necessarily mean that we're intimate with it. Just because we know the Lord's Prayer doesn't necessarily mean that we're intimate with it. Unlike Greece, that child that we spoke about, sure, we may know all the words and get all the words right and know where the words are located, but that doesn't necessarily imply that we have a robust understanding of those words. And so what we've been doing in this message series, quite simply, is we've been breaking down the Lord's Prayer. We've been putting the Lord's Prayer under a microscope, so to speak. We have been examining all the words and the phrases and the petitions that we find therein. And before we dive into our petitions for today, um, in this sermon, we're going to look at the last two petitions of the prayer. Before we do that, what I would like for us to do as a congregation, and we've been doing this every week since we started this series, is I would like for us to pray the Lord's Prayer together. So wherever you are, if you're here in the sanctuary, if you're worshiping from home, maybe you're watching this video later in the week, wherever you are, let's pray this prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Next week, we'll close out this sermon series, and we will look at the last line of the Lord's Prayer, which Catholics don't typically pray, uh, what we call the doxology. Uh, doxology simply means a word of praise. Um, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We'll talk about that next week. But in this sermon, we're going to look at the line just before the doxology, which, as I mentioned, contains the last two petitions, the last two requests. Let's say these together. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. That's the first of the last two petitions. But deliver us from evil. That's the second of the last two petitions. Let's talk about the first one. Lead us not into temptation. Folks, it's amazing to me how this petition speaks into the situations that we sometimes find ourselves in. For example, I'm a part of a clergy covenant group. Uh, I've been a part of a clergy covenant group for some time, actually since I first got started in pastoral ministry. Uh, I'm in a covenant group with about seven other, or actually six other pastors in our conference and so we've been doing life together for a while, and the aim of our group is to hold each other accountable, help each other out as we live into God's call in our lives to be pastors. Well, what we try to do as much as possible is we try to get together in person for a retreat. Uh, typically, we do this twice a year, in the spring and then later in the fall. Well, during the COVID pandemic, we weren't able to gather in person. Like most people, we weren't gathering in person, and so we had to put off a retreat for a while but then about a year and a half ago, we had our first in-person gathering. And our friend Michael, who's a part of the group, he serves a church up in Ocala, but he and his family have a condo in Ormond Beach. And so we went to Ormond Beach, we stayed at the condo. Well, there's a donut shop in Ormond Beach, maybe you've heard of it before, called Donnie's Donuts. 
Has anybody ever visited Donnie's Donuts? We had somebody, okay, a few people have. We had somebody in the last service who grew up in Ormond Beach. She was familiar with Donnie's Donuts. Well, our group walked inside Donnie's Donuts, and I immediately saw this donut. We have it up here on the monitor. Where is it? There it is. Three of my favorite things, donuts, maple, and bacon. So I saw this donut. I took a picture of it, as you can tell, and I put it on social media along with the caption, lead me not into temptation. <laughs> Unfortunately, social media did not provide me the accountability that I was looking for. What a surprise that is. My covenant group did not provide me the accountability that I was looking for because I succumbed to temptation and I quickly consumed that donut. But I share this as a way of saying that we all struggle with temptation, don't we? We all struggle with temptation. I mentioned my covenant group. While I heard a story about another group of guys who were part of a covenant group, hold each other accountable, help each other grow in holiness, well, this group was meeting in person. Again, this wasn't my group, this is another group. They were meeting in person, and they were confessing their sins, their deep, dark sins that they didn't want anybody else to know about. And so the first guy began by saying this, I struggle with lust. Sometimes I'm tempted to buy magazines and look at pictures I shouldn't be looking at, to go on the internet, look at images I shouldn't be looking at, and I am so embarrassed and ashamed to tell you all this. And the second guy said, well, I appreciate you opening up. My struggle is gambling. In fact, just last week, I squandered half my paycheck at the casino. This has really affected my family. And the third guy said, well, my temptation is alcohol. Sometimes I'm tempted to go to bars and just drink all my problems away. Well, at this point, as you can imagine, the atmosphere in the room was somber. I'm serious. These guys were opening up. They were burying their souls. The fourth guy, though, was on his phone the entire time. He wasn't looking up. And so they said to him, well, what about you? What do you struggle? What are you tempted by? And he said, I, I hate to tell you all this, but I'm tempted by gossip. In fact, I've been on my phone the entire time texting everybody what you've been saying and going on social media and making posts on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. That's a joke, by the way. Again, I share this, though, as a way of saying that we all struggle with temptation. Our temptations take different forms, but all of us are tempted. I don't care who you are, all of us are tempted in some way to some degree. In preparation for this sermon, I came across a survey, a 2011 survey of the top 10 temptations. I have to say that slow, it's a tongue twister. The top 10 temptations that people say they deal with. Remember how David Letterman had his top 10 segment? Well, this is Chris Jones's top 10 segment at Asbury. The top 10 temptations that people deal with, they're up here. Worrying or being anxious. Procrastinating or putting things off. Eating too much. Spending too much time on media. Being lazy. Spending more money than they could afford. Gossiping about others being jealous or envious of others, viewing pornography or sexually explicit material, and then finally, number 10, abusing alcohol or drugs. 
And so this is a sampling of the things that we're tempted by. Obviously, this list that we just looked at, it's not comprehensive. It's not exhaustive. There's other things that we could add here. But this list represents our most common temptations. Our most common temptations. Temptation, as we've come to establish, is a very human experience. And so it makes sense, doesn't it, that the Bible would address it, that the Bible would have something to say about temptation. The Bible addresses temptation on numerous occasions. One of the premier examples is found in the New Testament book of James. Uh, We believe that James was authored by the earthly brother of Jesus. This is what James says about temptation in chapter 1 of his letter, uh, verses 14 and 15. He says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us. What a serious word that is. Entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So what James is doing in this very short set of verses, he is painting for us a portrait of how temptation unfolds. First, he says, a desire begins in our hearts. This desire could be for anything. Fill in the blank. It could be to look at something we shouldn't be looking at, to eat something that our body doesn't need. It could be to buy something that we can't afford. It could be to have a sexual relationship with somebody. It could be to take vengeance on somebody who hurt us, who wronged us, We want to get back at that person. So that desire begins in our hearts, and then we start to play with that desire, don't we? We start to flirt with it. We start to think about it in our mind. We start to imagine what life would be like if that desire were met. Oh my gosh, if I took vengeance on that person who hurt me, they would be so humiliated. They would be so embarrassed. They would know exactly how they made me feel. Or if I were to have a sexual relationship with that person, oh my gosh, it would be so amazing. I would enjoy that so much more than I do the intimacy that I have with my own spouse. And then what happens next is we choose to act on the desire, whatever that desire might be. We do the thing that we only thought about doing, the thing that we, that we said we never would do. It's also at this point that as people, we begin to justify what we're doing because we want to see ourselves in a positive light, don't we? So we make comments to ourselves like, well, I deserve happiness, don't I? Or what I'm doing is nobody else's business except my own. It doesn't matter if I have a relationship with that person. I deserve it because my spouse, they're never intimate with me. Or that person, yeah, I should take vengeance on that person. She embarrassed me. He humiliated me. Then finally, The last stage, according to James, so we start with desire, we act on the desire, which becomes sin. The last stage, James says, is what? Death. It's pretty serious. Now, when James says death, he's not necessarily talking about physical death. Although physical death is certainly possible, depending on what the behavior is, he's more so talking about figurative death. Death of relationships, death of marriages, death of hopes, death of dreams, ambitions, our reputation. 
Shortly after I was ordained as a pastor, I became a juror on a clergy trial. Uh, it was a very interesting experience. Now, let me preface this by saying that in our denomination, the United Methodist Church, if a pastor commits an act of misconduct, a moral failing, that should prevent that person from continuing to serve in ministry, and yet that pastor refuses to surrender their credentials voluntarily, then that pastor is subject to a clergy trial. Just like we have trials in the civil sphere, there are trials in the church sphere. All of this is conducted by the leaders of our denomination. So I was selected as a juror on a clergy trial. I felt like I was on an episode of Law and Order. What an interesting experience it was. And I'm not going to get into all the details, but the reason this man was on trial, this pastor, he had had an affair with a woman in the church. And when the affair became public, not only did it impact his marriage and his family, but it impacted that church. People left the church in droves. The church collapsed financially. People didn't want to be a part of the church because they lost confidence in the church's ministry. And eventually what happened is that church closed. Our sin, as James tells us, has serious repercussions. Now, is there grace? Of course there's grace. Is there forgiveness? Absolutely. There's always grace and salvation and forgiveness offered to us in Jesus Christ, but at the same time, our sin does have repercussions. And sin doesn't just come out of nowhere. Sin begins with a desire for something that if acted upon, destroys. We see this truth unfold time again in the Bible. Remember Adam and Eve, the first people? They desired to be like God, and so they chose to violate the boundary that God put in place, a boundary that God put in place not to take away their fun, but to ensure that they would thrive. They chose to violate that boundary, do their own thing instead, even the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Or Abraham, he desired to protect his own skin when he and his wife Sarah went to Egypt. And so he chose to lie to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he said that Sarah was his sister instead of his wife because he knew that his wife was a beautiful woman and that Pharaoh would want to be with her. He almost allowed his wife to be taken advantage of. Joseph's brothers desired to take vengeance on their brother because of their father's favoritism toward him. David desired a sexual relationship with Bathsheba, even though Bathsheba was married to another man. And then once he and Bathsheba were intimate and she became pregnant, he wanted to maintain his good name, and so he tried his very best to cover it all up. He ended up having her husband killed. Peter, he desired not to be associated with Jesus because he didn't want to suffer in the same manner of Jesus, and so he denied Jesus not once, not twice, three times. Think about those times and those moments in your own life where you have messed up after being tempted. I guarantee you that that temptation began with a desire. A desire for something contrary to God's ways and God's purposes for us. But what's interesting is, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, as we did a moment ago, we pray that God would lead us not into temptation. Now why do we pray that? Why do we pray that God would lead us not into temptation. After all, doesn't the Bible say that God doesn't tempt us? 
Actually, that's precisely what the Bible says. We read from James 1 a moment ago, verses 14 and 15. This is what James says one verse earlier, verse 13. He says, and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. All right, fair enough. So if God doesn't tempt us, if God never tempts us, why on earth does Jesus tell us to pray, lead us not into temptation? I'm so glad you asked that question. Well, let me begin by saying that James is absolutely correct. He is spot on. God does not tempt human beings. God doesn't lead us into temptation. In fact, David tells us in Psalm 23 the road that God wants to take us down. This is from Psalm 23, verse 3. He, the Lord, leadeth me in the paths of what? Righteousness for his name's sake. You see, folks, that's the path that God wants to lead us down. Not the path of sin, not the path of temptation, not the path of destruction. God wants to lead us down the path of righteousness, the path of integrity, the path of holiness and blessing and morality. The problem is, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we don't put a comma where there probably should be a comma. Now keep in mind, when Jesus gave us this prayer 2,000 years ago, Jesus spoke in Aramaic. Aramaic was the language of Jesus and the disciples. However, the New Testament wasn't primarily written in Aramaic. There are a few Aramaic phrases in there, but the New Testament was primarily written in what language? In Greek. Old Testament was written in Hebrew. New Testament was written in Greek. And what we have to understand about ancient Greek, there is no punctuation, which means there are no commas or, or periods or exclamation points. Any punctuation that we have in our English version of the New Testament was put there by a translator. And there are a number of scholars who have said that there probably should be a comma, in fact, there should be a comma, in between the phrases, lead us and not into temptation. Lead us and not into temptation. Commas make a big difference, don't they? Maybe you've seen some of these memes on social media, like this one, for example. Let's eat kitty versus let's eat, comma, kitty. Commas save lives, don't they? Or how about this one? I like cooking, my family and pets. Use commas. Don't be a psycho. It should be, I like cooking, comma, my family, comma, and pets. Commas make a difference. And really what commas do, commas create a sense of pause. So taking all this into account, here's how we ought to pray this part of the prayer. Lead us, comma. And because there's a comma, there's a pause. God, lead us down the path of righteousness that David talks about. Lead us down the path of integrity. Lead us down the path of morality and blessing and holiness. Unpause. Not into temptation, because that's the path I'm going to take myself down if you're not leading me. Do you see the difference? Here's what it comes down to. When we pray this petition... We're not asking God not to tempt us. 
I realize that's a double negative, so grammar teachers, please don't get upset with me. But we're not asking God not to tempt us. God never tempts us, as James says. Instead, we're asking God to lead us because apart from God's leading, temptation is the path that we are inevitably going to pursue. Which is why, I love that Jesus does this, he follows up this petition about temptation with the very next one. But deliver us from evil. Or the more literal translation would be, deliver us from the evil one. The reality is, folks, we are going to be tempted. We've already established this. Somehow, in some way, all of us are going to be tempted. When we find ourselves in situations of temptation, we can't rely on ourselves. We can't rely on our own strength, our own effort, our own willpower. If we do, we are going to be in big trouble. We must rely on the very one who, in Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, delivers us from all evil. I want to end my sermon with these words from the Apostle Paul. Uh, this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure. The next time you're tempted, look to God. Turn to God, who, as Paul reminds us, will show us a way out so we can endure. Dallas Wolford, as a lot of you know, was a longtime member of our church family. He passed away uh, last year. His son, Ron, who's here in worship today, uh, he's a member and continues to attend this service, the 11 o'clock service. Well, after Dallas passed away, Ron and Ron's sister, Susie, and her husband sat with me in my office, and we were making plans for the service, and they were telling me stories about their dad. And one story in particular really stuck with me. I don't think I shared the story during the service, but it's, it stayed with me. So Dallas, as a lot of you know, was in construction for most of his career. He would supervise these incredibly large building projects. Well, one time when Ron was about five years old, his dad was overseeing the construction of a bridge. And he decided to bring Ron with him to the work site so that Ron could see what his dad did. So he brought Ron to the work site, and at one point, Dallas had to go do something. And so he said, Ron, stay put. I'll be right back. Well, Ron didn't stay put. He began to wander, as little boys do. And actually, he ended up wandering onto a steel beam that was about 50 to 100 feet in the air. If he had fallen down, there's no way he would have survived that fall. So Dallas turns. He looks at Ron. You can imagine how panicked he was in that moment. But he couldn't express that panic. He didn't want to startle Ron because then he might have fallen down. So he calmly said, Ron, don't move. I'm going to come and get you. Ron started moving. He started walking. And so Dallas said, okay, Ron, don't look anywhere else. Don't look to your left. Don't look to your right. Look straight ahead and just look at me. Walk toward me. Walk toward me. And before he knew it, 
He was in his dad's arms. We're going to find ourselves in situations where we're going to be tempted. When we do, look to God. Listen to God as God says, walk toward me. Walk toward me. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God, I have succumbed to temptation more times than I want to admit. All of us have. We've all messed up. We've all screwed up. So God, remind us that even though we have all fallen short of your glory, that in Jesus Christ there is redemption and second chances and forgiveness and salvation. Thank you so much that you are committed to us. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live as your people in this world. When we find ourselves in the future in situations of temptation, please, God, help us to look at you and walk towards you. Walk towards you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.